Amen. Go and have a seat. Hey, God, as we spend this time in your word, I pray that you would reveal to us the sweetness of Jesus as we sing that chorus to show us Christ. We pray that your word would reveal once again the glory that you possess in the face of your son, the Lord Jesus. Uh, we, we love you. Um, we thank you for the time we get to spend together. And I pray specifically for the dads, uh, for the men in this room, that you would encourage them this morning. And that for all of us, that we'd be reminded, Lord, of how good you are to us. Uh, Father, you are the, the perfect example of a father. You are perfectly righteous and faithful and consistent and caring and loving and tender with your people. And so we bless you this morning. We magnify your name. We thank you for who you are, for what you have done. Help us to be attentive now. Help us to be humble enough to respond to what you want to show us. And would you, through your spirit, work through your word now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Good to see you all. Um, I wrestled with this uh, message a little bit this week. I was kind of all over the place, but it's always a unique privilege to be able to speak to, to dads, obviously being a dad. Um, and I want to encourage you with a couple of things. So some of you men in this room, um, you come in and you don't have an earthly dad to pull much encouragement, if any, from. Um, and one of the things is I just prayed that we can be immensely encouraged about is that despite what ability we come in with, despite what experience we come in with, despite what benefit we might or might not gain from our earthly father, that as a believer, as a Christian, we have the, the perfect picture of fatherhood and the God of the Bible. The one who calls those who are his, his children. The one who is perfectly tender and affectionate, perfectly righteous and just and faithful and steadfast and true in everything that he does. So be encouraged in that. Even if you don't have an earthly father, you can lean from. And for some of you men in this room, there's always a temptation on Mother's Day, Father's Day, if you're not a mother or father, to kind of detach yourself from the content of this message. My encouragement to you is that you will be a father to some. If you're not a father in the flesh to a physical child, you will be, and you have the potential to be, a spiritual father to many. That there are, there are Timothys, if you know the parallel between Paul and Timothy in the New Testament, you will always have younger men behind you. And in that picture, you will always have younger men you can commend to follow you as spiritual children. And I think that picture is very true in the scripture. So be encouraged in that as well. And so in all of that, I just want to encourage us to look at what it means to be gospel-centered in our fatherhood. You know, as a dad, I've got six daughters. I've um, been parenting for 20 years and still learning every single day. Uh, our oldest is married, and, and uh, we're soon to be grandparents, Lord willing, um, beginning of next year, which is awesome. So I think grandparenting seems to be easier than parenting is what I've heard anyways. But one of the things you, you see, and I read this quote years ago, it says, before I got married, I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children and no theories. And, and parenting has a, a way of humbling you because you realize, like, I'm, I'm in way over my head. I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing. There's some seasons where you feel like you might have a little bit more locked in, and then you transition to a new season just to realize, like, no, I actually don't. I still don't know what I'm doing. And so as dads, I want to commend you to kind of embrace the weakness that is inherent in the process of being dads. But the first thing I want to talk about, and I'm going to be a little bit all over the place. I'm going to anchor somewhat to Deuteronomy chapter 6. You can go there in your Old Testament. 
Um, and we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 at a couple of different points, and the rest will be up on the screen. So don't feel like you've got to kind of chase me as we go through. The first thing I want to commend you men to do is to point your kids to Jesus. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about to his spiritual children in the church at Corinth, he, he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And he goes on to unpack the nature of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He goes on to talk about his personal testimony, but in the realm of all things that are important, and there are many of them, there's one thing that's of first importance to the man of God, and that's the gospel message, that Jesus Christ died for sins, for sinners, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So it's tantamount to the man of God, to a father, to point our kids to Jesus. That's the matter of first importance to point your kids to Jesus Christ. Our greatest need as men and our kids' greatest need is spiritual regeneration, not moral formation. They need Jesus Christ more than they need anything, just as we do. There are all sorts of things that masquerade in our lives as the most important thing in our parenting. Not conforming their behavior or raising their moral kids. Those two things aren't the issue of first importance or increasing your comfort or convenience or promoting academic or, uh, or athletic excellence. That's not the issue of first importance. At the end of this life, what will be most important is, is have you point them, pointed them to Jesus? Have you introduced them to the Savior? That's ultimately what will last. The gospel, Jesus' love for our kids and their surrender to him is of first importance. The gospel has to be, and this is maybe a summary statement I would give to you in this realm of pointing your kids to Jesus, is that the gospel has to be real to you for you to make it real to them. I want to read you a, a brief poem. It's called My Boy's First Bible, and you can make it apropos to a boy or a girl, but it's written in the masculine form. And it says this, said, a little boy's first Bible is the greatest thrill he's known. There's a sweet, unique excitement in a Bible all his own. And yet my heart is smitten as this touching sight I see has his reverence for that Bible depended much on me. As I see him with his Bible, I bow my head and pray. May he always love that Bible the way he does today. Then I hear a voice within me speak in solemn words and true how he cherishes that Bible will depend a lot on you. I love my Bible better since I've seen the beaming joy this wonderful possession has afforded to my boy. May I seek to give mine daily a devotion he can see, for the love he bears his Bible will depend a lot on me. Men, is grace fresh to you today? Is the grace of God fresh to you today? And there's a, there's a gravity we feel, even just from that very simple poem, if we recognize that to some degree, we have, we have a unique authority and opportunity with our children that no one else possesses. And, our, and their walk with God, in some degree, if not significant degree, will be shaped and formed. Their view of God, their view of the Bible will be shaped and formed by our walk with Jesus. So one of the primary ways we point to Jesus in our parenting is to walk with Jesus in our lives. 
There is a way in which so much of their love for God, their view of God, their love for his word will depend on us. Are you living a life of devotion and obedience to Christ? Is the life you're shepherding them toward a life you're living in front of them? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, why don't we go there together if you're there. It goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6, this section, you'll see some very familiar parts to it is where we get the greatest commandment to love God. It's called the Shema. It was something that fathers and that the Israelites would recite. It's a very important part of kind of framing in the way in which fathers were called to perpetuate the faith in the one true God to other generations. So we'll read uh, verses, we'll read verses four through nine. It says this, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So there's this picture that you should you shall teach. You teach the commands, the words of God to your children that will ripple on to your children's children. And you talk about them from here, there, and everywhere. When you sit, when you rise, when you walk, make the word of God apparent and visible and consistent in your home. But did you notice what came before the call to teach and to talk about the word of God? Go back there just for a second with me. Before all of that, Lord your God is one, love the Lord. In verse 6, and these words that I command you today, again, this is before the call to give it away, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The word of God alive in the man of God given to his children. These words from the scriptures should be alive to you before you seek to give them away. All of our ministry to our children in the local church, this is men and women, is an overflow of the ministry to God to us first. You can't minister from an empty cup. You're splashing at best. But the constant flood of the grace and the love of God comes from a heart already full of the truth of God from the scriptures. These words will be, they must be on your heart before you commend them to the hearts of your children. It doesn't mean they're not true if you do and living in hypocrisy, but the, the magnitude of the influence will come when our lives are consistent with what we say, what we preach, and what we seek to give away. Is the Lord alive to you? Is devotion to Jesus what your kids see? Not perfection. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But do they see a consistent love for God, for the things of God, for the word of God in your life these words shall be on your heart before you speak of them and teach them. If the gospel is real to you, is it present in your home? Is it present in your parenting? There's a few kind of verbs I'll just throw out here to kind of underscore pointing our kids to Jesus. One is that we talk. We saw that in the, in the verse, verse 7. Talk about them when you go this way and that. Talk about Jesus and then do this. Talk about him some more. When you think about this picture of when you sit, when you rise, when you walk, it's quite literally one of the most helpful pictures we can get for how should we go about talking about Jesus any way you can. Talk about him when you rise, when you sit, when you walk. 
When you sit down to dinner, one of the most fruitful terrains for us as a family over the years and in my fathering has been at the dinner table. And we just sit together. And sometimes my kids over the years have rolled their eyes because it's serious time again. Dad's going to inject a purposeful question like, (laughs) as we're having fun, all of a sudden I just got to throw in some purposeful gravity, which I think is good. But I think they've grown to love it over the years. It's been one of the most purposeful times we have is sitting at the table together. And I'll ask him a question about the sermon, or I'll just we'll read a scripture together. I'll ask some question about the cultural moment and things that they're seeing, and we'll try to think through it biblically. But just talk about Jesus. How does faith in Christ come to bear on everything that they're seeing and experiencing? Use your dinner table to ask purposeful questions. Talk about the sermon. Look for ways to illustrate gospel truths. Capitalize on moments where you see shadows of the gospel. Even in something like the sexual revolution that we find ourselves in, with transgenderism and this crisis of identity that people have, we can realize this just a, it's a function of, it's a manifestation of the problem of the sinful heart of men. It comes out in all sort of profane ways. But even that, as abhorrent as it is and as perpetual as it is in culture now, is an opportunity to display that we are broken. And all of us chase after an identity in something. And child, are you going to find your identity in Jesus? Are you going to try to reach for shifting sand or race and chase after the wind that will never truly give you any sort of stability? Examples abound for us to point our kids to Jesus, to find stability in him. It is a firm foundation for their feet and for ours. As you look at things in the world, like we can ask the questions, what does this tell us about God? What does this say about us? You can ask those same questions when you're reading your Bible. But you can kind of exegete or pull out from the culture through those two questions, really helpful stuff to talk to your kids about. What does what you see and tell us about God? What does what you see and tell us about man or about the human heart? But talk about Jesus. Look for moments to discuss with your kids their own need for Jesus. With younger kids, we have a whole lot of young kids in this room, and we've, we're kind of living in two worlds a little bit. Our, our youngest is soon to be eight. Our oldest is 20, so we're still living in some measure of the, the realm of discipline, instruction. And, and when your kids are younger, there's, there's a physical energy that it takes. Somebody say amen. Right? You're chasing. It's like every five minutes, if not less, there's some issue of discipline and instruction that needs to take place, and it is exhausting. Haley was, at a, Haley was at a park one time. Somebody say amen over there. I hear, I feel you, Serge. Haley was at a park one time, and she had, I think her kids at the time were like maybe, I don't know, five, three, and one, or four, two, and baby, or something like that. And she was engaging with a mom who was a little bit down the road from where she was, a little bit older mom. And she just kind of plainly looked at Haley, and she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, you're in the tired years. And I can feel very much like what that initial, like the younger years can be. But let me just encourage you, you, you parents of younger children. And I'm not saying I did this perfectly, but I do believe it wholeheartedly. Is that every single moment of discipline carries with it an opportunity to depict and to share the gospel. Like there's a consequence for sin. And dad loves you. There's a consequence for sin and you're forgiven because of what Jesus did for you. I I can't tell you how many times I've uttered that statement I just said. How do you know you're forgiven? 
Well, you're forgiven because of what Jesus did for you. There's always going to be a consequence for sin, but with Jesus, there's always forgiveness. Now, just like the adulterous woman, now go and sin no more. God calls you to live differently by his spirit and his grace. Every single moment of discipline comes with this rich opportunity to lift up one more time the sweetness of Jesus and what he's done for sinners. So take advantage. Don't, don't lose heart and just be faithful. Ask God for the strength to do it again and again, to have resilience when you're fatigued, when you're tired of saying and doing the same thing over and over. I know that it's difficult. And I think with our kids as well, we can lose sight of the fact that it's really important for us to, you've heard me say this if you've been around Crossway for a while, is that we, we never graduate from the grace of God. So as parents, like our kids need to understand that we haven't graduated from grace. So one of the things, and even yesterday we had an application of this, talking to one of our daughters, like to be able to look at your kids and be like, you know what, I understand. I understand why you, why you lost your temper. I can lose my temper all the time. Maybe don't hit people because I'm a little older now, a little bit wiser. But I understand why you get angry when you don't get what you want. Like that's just, we all get angry. I understand why you lie because you want to protect yourself. I kind of get it. And in that moment, you can relate to them that, oh, okay, my parents actually need Jesus too. They still need grace, just like I do. And there's a, there's a power in our vulnerability to say, I understand why you did this. And for those, those of us who have older kids, you know, one of the challenges is like your, your physical energy turns more into emotional, relational energy you have to expend as your kids get older. So dads, in a culture, it seems to push us into a box of being those who are maybe emotionally removed. Maybe, maybe you could argue naturally men are a little bit less relational. For some of us, a lot less relational. We feel like we don't have the capacity to enter in. The times when our kids need us just to sit there and talk and we need to engage in purposeful ways. Well, the gospel, and you know this very well, we preach through a couple different books that show it, that apart from Jesus, there's an old way of life that used to be us. When we come to Jesus, there's a whole new man that comes with it. So the things that used to define us, some of that can be apathy, disconnectedness emotionally, in with tenderness and eagerness to our kids? Are you devoting the kind of time that it takes to point your kids to Jesus? Are you patient, long-suffering with, with your kids? For us, do, are we willing to stay up late? Because something about teenage girls, they just like, after 10 p.m. is like prime time. I'm like, that's like my brain's shutting down, like 9.40 but are we willing to sacrifice in order to gain the relational capital with our kids that is needed to have a continued voice into their life over the years to point them to Jesus? Do they see in us a sacrificial heart says you're, you're a priority to us? So point them to Jesus. Talk about Jesus all the time. Teach them about God and his word. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So men, I would say this. It can be a daunting responsibility to be the one called to, and obviously wives and moms do it as well, but you're called to impart the word of God to your children. They shall be on your heart, and then you shall talk about them. You shall teach them to your children that it might go to your children's children. And it can be overwhelming, especially when we don't have an example. So a couple of things I'd encourage you with. If you don't have an example, you're not sure what to do, then just ask. Find an older brother in the body, someone who looks like they know what they're doing. If they don't know what they're doing, just move on to the next. 
Come, come see one of us as tongue-in-cheek. But come see one of us as pastors. You know, like we want to, that's a benefit of having the body around us. It's like a big family where there's certain things that some of us are excelling at that others aren't. And we need to lift each other up and give each other encouragement. So find someone. Don't just suffer alone. And don't make it too complicated. I've said this before. My Father's Day messages over the last 15 years have echoed similar sentiments. Because early on, I felt like this pressure to be original. And what I did, like even in my living room with my kids, sort of preach a sermon. Like I thought I was going to have to be Spurgeon in the living room and deliver some impressive something. And I just realized over there, just do something. Just, if you open the word of God, read a couple verses and pray over your family, praise be to God. That is a good thing to do, a fruitful thing to do. And believe me, I know when you sit down with your kids, it's like Satan comes out of the closet. He's just attacking everybody. It's like he does not want this thing to happen. Every single time, still today, we sit down to have like a devotional time, like, like gloves off, like it's time to battle. Something is going crazy. But just do something. Like just, just be faithful. Open the word of God. Use tools that are put together by like devotional tools. If you're just stuck, you don't know what to do, then get tools into your hands. I've got a few I can recommend if you want to see me later. Just something, but just do something with your family that's purposeful. Teach them the word of God. In Psalm 78, verses 1 through 7, I want to read this just real quickly. Psalm 78, there's this picture of the ripple effect that teaching our children diligently will have on the coming generations. Someone once said this, you can't do anything about your, about your ancestors, but you can have a profound impact on those who come after you. And this is a picture of that, Psalm 78. I'll read verses 1 through 7. It says, Give, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. There's the first picture of fathers. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation after her children might know them, the children yet unborn. What a picture. And arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Men, is the word of God in our hearts. Is the word of God in our hearts in such a way that it bubbles out, that we give it away, that we eagerly utter the memory of God's abundant goodness to our children in such a way that will have ripple effects to the coming generations, even the children that are yet unborn. Maybe we should say this. We won't hide those words. So we will tell them to the coming generations. We'll teach our children. We'll labor for the next generation to know God and his word. They might put their hope and their trust in him. One of the things I feel like I've seen over the years, <clears throat> as my kids share, share with me words of encouragement, you know, I've gotten a couple of them recently. I got a text when we were out of town, something that Hope shared with Haley that was just, Remarkable because all I, could, all I could think about is all the moments I've failed. And she heard a message last weekend from 
Bill about just pastoral leadership and was encouraging me and just the way, you know, I follow that design for pastoral leadership. But aren't we so mindful of just the ways that we fail? And those moments of failure can drive us to, to be inconsistent because we withdraw. We become fearful. We don't, we're not reminded of the promises of God that make us new and that give us power fresh for today. But one of the things I've, I feel like I've seen over the years, and you older dads, I know they could probably second this, is as my kids share the things that, that, are, that they're encouraged by, the things they've seen in my life over the years, you know what I don't hear? It's like, Dad, you know that one sermon you gave was so great. You know the devotion we did in the living room that time? Man, that's just, I mean, that was awesome. The way you handled the word, the way you really just preached the text, like we just really benefited. I've never heard that in my life. And I never will. But you know what they do share with me? Something that resembles the pattern of your life has been consistent. The pattern of your life has been one that has demonstrated that Jesus is real in your life. And it's, and it's the long game, right? There's a, there's a pattern of imperfect consistency that we have to strive for. Vulnerable consistency. Because over the years, I think what our kids will see is that over, like the, the trajectory of dad's life was one where he loved Jesus and he loved me. Knowing that full well, there's countless moments of failure. I can't tell you how many times I've asked my kids forgiveness for blowing it and getting angry and doing things the wrong way. But thanks be to God that the grace of God covers that. That love does cover a multitude of sins. We saw that in First Peter, right? Our consistency, I would argue, makes the greatest impact. It proved to be an example. We see that in 1 Peter 5 with pastors. We see it in 1 Timothy 4 with Timothy's pastoral leadership. Like no one looked down on your youthfulness, Timothy. But in the midst of the body, proved to be an example in speech, conduct, faith, love, and purity. That's where your influence is going to be found. Let me just encourage you men as well. Is that let, your, let your worship be evident to your kids. And my dad loves God. Your personal devotion, let that be evident and clear. Not for show, but just consistent. Do they see you having time with the Lord? Do they see you drawn from the well of God's grace because you desperately need it as you commend them to do the same? Do they see you loving God and loving his word? Your personal devotion to him. Do they see your devotion and commitment to his people? One of the things I celebrate the most, and maybe uniquely as a pastor, is that my kids really love the local church. They love coming here and being with y'all. They really see you as a family. Even though this is my vocation now, like one of the things I celebrate the most over these 20 years is that my girls love the people of God. And you know why I celebrate that? It's because when they're gone, the very thing I commend to you almost every Sunday is that we were never designed to do this on our own. We need the people of God. We need the people of God to grow in our love for Jesus, to be fruitful in our lives. And if I believe that, I can do nothing but celebrate the fact that my kids love the local church. They love the people of God. Increasingly, they're loving the word of God, but I'm so thankful that they've seen some measure of trajectory in my life that they know that I'm committed to God, to his people, to his word. Do they see Jesus in our worship and our humility just speaking of this, like, I'm trying to think of how to unpack this. Maybe it's this, men. Um, I think one of the temptations as men is to not be vulnerable. 
to not be very expressive in the things that you're fearful about. It's remarkable within the last couple of years, at a moment with one of our daughters where I would say one of the clearest moments where I'd, I'd shared with her, hey, you know the reason I responded this way, like a sinful way to something we were parenting through? And I responded with anger. As I kind of revisited it, having to kind of ask her forgiveness, I looked at her and I said, you know the reason I responded that way? is because I'm afraid. Like I'm just, I'm just afraid. I'm afraid of this for you. I'm afraid of the dynamic in our relationship. And that's why I responded the way that I did. It was just kind of a vulnerable, broken moment. But isn't it true that God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble? Isn't vulnerability to some degree an expression of humility? I'm not commending myself. I can assure you I've blown it countless times. But it's, it's had remarkable fruit in our relationship. Like that moment of just expressing like, here's why I react in this way. I need the grace of God to help me differently. In the moments where we fail, maybe I'll just share one of those. I'll just break one of those out of the bag real quick. There was a moment I was in the kitchen with, I think, the, I think we're far enough removed from this where I won't get fired for sharing this, but that's a joke. You should laugh. I was in the, I was in the kitchen with uh, Haley and the girls and uh, Hope was at the, the, <laughs> the stove with me and she said something to Haley, maybe looked at her in a way that I didn't really like and I had a wooden spoon in my hand and I slapped the cooktop because I was angry and just shattered the whole thing. I know, I know. And it was, I was supposed to preach that night I did preach that night, but here's why, because the grace of God is big. So I walked down the hallway and that was like one of the times in my life I remember most clearly like, well, Satan is just like disqualifying me every single step I take. It's like, you can't go preach. Like you have no right to get up and start talking about the things of God. Like here's what you did. And there's this debatable, like how much of it was righteous anger versus unrighteous. There was a little bit of both in there, I think. But that's, I mean, there's been a lot of moments of failure. But in the moments of failure, men, look at me, please, every single one of you. In your moments of failure, when sin abounds, what? Grace abounds all the more. It doesn't mean it excuses our unrighteousness, but allows us to get back up, to continue to be faithful, to continue to take steps of godliness toward our families, to be able to say, if I really believe in the gospel, then maybe I can preach tonight because the grace of God is amazing and overwhelming and even picks up a sinner hundreds and hundreds of times again. But those moments of humility and vulnerability can provide some of the sweetest opportunities to demonstrate the necessity of grace and commend our kids to trust in God alone with us. Gary Thomas said it this way. He says, I will focus my efforts on introducing my kids to God, even using my own failures and inadequacies as compelling causes for my children to find their refuge in him. Feelings of condemnation and guilt can be sweet escorts into worship. Being confronted with our sinfulness once again can be cause for new amazement at the mercy and grace of Jesus. I have a whole lot more to say, but I'll just sum it up this way as we close off. Point your kids to Jesus, and then dads, tenderly care for your kids the way God tenderly cares for you. You know, in a, a version of masculinity and manhood that seems to void manhood from any sort of tenderness, I just want to compel you to look at the way your father cares for you. The father that in the Old Testament is, is pictured as one who picks up his sheep, carries them close to his chest, 
in a world that says that real men don't cry, well, then I guess Jesus, was, Jesus wasn't a real man because Jesus wept over things that mattered, over people that mattered, over loss that was real. But tenderly care for your children. Children are a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And in your tenderness, do your kids see that you cherish them, that you value them, that, you're, that they're a priority to you? And one of the things, I'll just say this in this last stretch, is that as men, you know, one of the things we can get caught up in is just rivalry. Like one of the ways we exasperate our children, you see that in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, the primary call for dads in the New Testament is don't provoke your kids to anger. That's the primary message in the New Testament for dads. Don't stir your kids up to bitterness and frustration. One of the ways we do that is when they see rivalry. Things besides our wives, things in this world, our jobs, recreation, other things that they see as having priority in our lives over them. Don't stir your kids up to anger by allowing things to creep in as priorities over and against your kids but delight in your kids, sacrifice for them, protect them. So I can say this, you know, Father's Day is always bittersweet for me. I lost my dad about 10 years ago to cancer. And I've shared this before, but I think it's a, a fitting way to close. Um, we never get time back. You just, you never get time back. You can't relive yesterday. So one of the things I've shared with my girls over the years is like there have been moments where I've looked at them and be like, I just don't, I, I never want to look back and realize I wasted time. Father's Day at some level is a reminder for you dads, don't waste your time. Give your time, your full energy, your full commitment to the thing that matters most. Because those 10 to 15 seconds every few hours I got with my dad, his last couple of days, man, I wish I had more but you can't get time back. You'll never relive this season with your kids. Give it your all. Be devoted to your children. Be affectionate, point them to Jesus and tenderly care for them the way that God cares for you. I wanna ask you men to stand up with me just for a second. All, all the men in this room, I'd like for you to stand. Before we sing one last song, I just want us to pray together. I'm gonna come down here because we're gonna look at the cross together. Father, we, we desperately need you. And there are so many days where we go about our time as if that is not true, as if somehow we can just labor on in our own energy apart from you. So I pray that some of what happens this morning is that as men, that we would be, uh, we would be fueled for greater love for you, that from that increase of affection for you, that we'd be increased in our effectiveness for our families. Father, thank you for being the perfect example of a father. That you're consistent in all your ways. You've never broken a promise. You tenderly care for your people. You carry us close. You know us perfectly. And I pray that as, as your people, as your men in this room, that we be men of God who love you with all our hearts and who give our lives passionately to the, the children, to the people that you've entrusted to us. We need you. Desperately, Lord, we need you. And I ask for each of these men that you would pick them up 
where they are discouraged and maybe even depressed or feel deflated, that there would be a, a fresh wind of grace that would fill them and enable them to, to move on and to be faithful and to be steadfast and to be consistent in ways that maybe they have not been. I pray that where we've been apathetic, that you would stir us to effectiveness and urgency, Lord, because we can only live this life once. We're here one moment and gone the next. This life is a, a quick vapor that we see and then it vanishes. And I pray that you'd help us to make the most of the time that you've given us. And God, would our kids see as dads our, our, love, our love for you and from that have an example to commend them to love Jesus as well in their own lives. Help us, strengthen us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now let's go ahead and sing one last song to close off.